you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome to the Way Home Podcast. This is your host, Dan Darling, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today from wherever you are joining me, whether you are in uh, the carpool line, bringing your kids to school or picking them up uh, if your kids have started school. Ours about to start school here pretty soon. Or if you're on your commute back and forth from work or like me, if you're washing the dishes and uh, wanting to listen to, to a podcast, glad to have you. Uh, if you like the podcast, would you do us a favor and rate and review it on iTunes? Uh, that just lets others know that the podcast is here and helps spread the word. I'm really excited about my next guest, the first time guest that's joining me today, all the way from the UK. But before we get to him, I wanted to just remind you about my new book that's out, uh, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loves. I've been doing a lot of media for it over the last few months, but I want to let you know that it is out there. If you want to just learn more about how we can bridge some of our divides as Christians, I don't know about you, if you felt like the last four or five years, uh, Christians have really been divided. And some of these fights are important, but a lot of them are over really important, but not ultimate things. And in this book, I really want to talk about how do we understand what are the good fights, as Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight? And what are the sort of stupid and frivolous things as he warns him against in Second Timothy? We also discuss forgiveness. How, how do you find forgiveness, especially if you've been hurt uh, by the church? A lot of folks are feeling that they've been hurt, or wounded by a pastor or by Christians. That's been me at several points in my life. Um, how do you uh, keep your faith in God? How do you keep your faith in what God is doing through his body? How do we avoid cynicism? So all those topics I cover, it's a very personal book. I talk about a little bit of my own story, coming of age and coming to faith and what God has done in my life. So if you are interested in that, you can go to my website, danieldarling.com. You can click on the big banner there. You can get the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, wherever you find books. Okay, my next guest is Justin Brierly. And Justin is uh, really a thinker, a talk show host, does a lot of apologetics. He hosted for a long time a really popular TV show and, and I think web show where he uh, would host debates on a variety of things with Christians and non-Christians. Uh, he's a he's a broadcaster, a writer, a speaker who hosts the Unbelievable and Ask NT Write Anything podcasts, among other shows. He's passionate about creating thoughtful conversations about faith with both Christians and skeptics. His first book was Unbelievable, why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian, which is really good. His current book really piqued my interest, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, Why New Atheism Grew Old and Why Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again. So you may have hear, heard the narrative that Christianity is in the decline, secularism is on the rise, and that may be true in some places, but what Justin is finding is there's this kind of new rebirth and interest in in belief in god and he explains why so i think you're going to enjoy this conversation i asked him a lot of probing questions and uh, it was really really fun he uh, did the interview all the way from the uk amazing through the magic technology we can cross continents and talk to each other so i don't want to delay this any further please enjoy this conversation with justin Brierley.
glad to have Justin Brierly here on the podcast. Justin, I don't think I've had you on here before. I've been a huge fan of yours, and I've listened to your show for years, and I think I was on your show a few years ago. But man, so great to have you and appreciative of all your work. Oh, thank you very much. It's it's lovely to be with you, Dan. And yeah, I I I feel like we must have spoken on at least one occasion in in the dim and distant past. But I'm I'm glad whether it's the first or second time to to be here on the show. You've done enormous work, you know, interviewing a lot of interesting people uh, across the political spectrum, across the sort of religious spectrum. Conversations, hosting debates, been really beneficial. You have a new book out, though. I wanted to talk to you about this. The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, Why New Atheism Grew Old and Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again. When I saw this, I was really excited and hopeful because I think, and I don't know if this is the case in the UK, but I think here in the United States, among evangelicals, particularly leaders, there's a kind of cynicism about Mm. the state of things, about Christianity. Everything's terrible. I I don't really buy into that, but there's a lot of cynicism for you to say that eh, maybe atheism is growing old and people are starting to reconsider Christianity. It's really refreshing for, for one thing. I'm glad. Uh, so I wanted to commend you on that. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much. I, I, I think that I, I understand where that cynicism is coming from. I think there has been a lot of issues, celebrity scandals, you know, various things that have happened over the last few years in the church. And, and to some extent, there's been, I guess, something of a, a winnowing or a reckoning in the evangelical church, some of which I think needed mm-hmm. to happen and is it's an important thing. But I also think that actually Christians do need to also be aware that it's not all negative. It's not all doom and gloom. In fact, there are some really interesting positive things happening as well. And sometimes we have to kind of go through that winnowing phase to see what God might be doing otherwise in the background. So so I'm, I, I think it is, it's a kind of an optimistic and hopeful book um, because I, I think actually we, we have an optimistic and hopeful faith at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah. And, y- y- you know, just to lift our eyes up and see what God is doing, uh, that, you know, God is at work even today among his people. But let's talk a little bit about, as you say, the de- sort of the decline of new atheism. Um, it seems like It seems like this kind of new atheism arose right around the turn of the century. Am I wrong about that? You know, some have said maybe I've heard people like Colin Hansen and others say that perhaps um, 9-11 kind of sparked it, you know, this sort of turn against religion. Is that accurate, you think? Yeah, I think 9-11 was definitely a key factor. I think at that point, people like Sam Harris started to write books like Letter to a Christian Nation and The End of Faith and so on which really were responses to some extent to religious extremism and the kinds of things that religious belief could turn people towards. And you sort of, you sort of saw it in some of the new atheist memes as well that became popular, such as science teaches people how to you know, fly airplanes, religion teaches them to fly, fly airplanes into buildings. You know, that, that was very much a response to the 9-11 thing. But it wasn't just 9-11. I think there were a number of factors that coalesced to form this new atheist movement, one of which was the fact that uh, in public schools, especially in the US at the time, there was a debate going on around the teaching of intelligent design, whether that was a legitimate way of looking at you know, origins of life and so on. And a lot of atheists and scientists responded quite strongly to that. Um, and, and that was partly where some of the new atheist movement was coming from. 
I think you also had things like, I mean, it's, it's funny looking back on this because the culture changed so much, but, but at the time, George W. Bush was seen as this very religious American president and that, you know, he was just on the verge of forcing everyone to say prayers in schools and, you know, put up 10 commandments in, uh, you know, in public spaces and things like that. That, that was kind of a lot of the, the messaging going on. I think it was a very overblown actually at the time, but, but again, that was the sort of atmosphere in which the new atheists were sort of speaking into, especially from a US perspective. And then you've got simply the rise of the internet in those mid 2000s and early forms of social media, blogging, chat rooms, discussion rooms, this was really a way in which uh, an otherwise disparate community could come together in a new way. And, and atheist groups online were really some of the first of those online communities to really build up ahead of steam. And, and it was really an online movement to that extent, as much as it also had an expression in you know actual physical rallies and atheist conferences and things. But it was the online aspect that helped them to actually rally together in that way. So I think all, all of that came together. And of course, it kind of on top of all that, you had these so-called four horsemen of the new atheism, Dawkins, Dennett, Hitchens, and Harris publishing these best-selling books, The God Delusion, God is Not Great, and so on. And yeah, it, and they just seemed to ride this wave of sort of, yeah, anti-theism that was on trend at the time. And and all together, you know, this this came to be known as the new atheism. And so, so I'd say that that sort of, I, I kind of, time it from around 2005, uh, maybe 2006, when Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion came out. And it, it kind of stayed quite strong through to sort of something like 2012, 2013, something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Now now it seems kind of quaint and almost um, desirable to have a an American president who reads his Bible and prays in the morning and <laughs> is is actually a Christian. I think even folks who opposed him were, are probably looking longingly yeah. back on that era. Yeah. What do you think is is some of what do you think are some of the the triggers for folks who might have been atheists to sort of turn back and say, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and, and to sort of find their as as it says, as Paul says in Acts, find their way to God. What do you think are some of some of those things? Is it is it kind of the trauma of of the last ten to fifteen years with, you know, the rise of populism and um, you know, the social upheaval and pandemic, racial tension? Is it things like that? Or is it I mean, what what do you think some of some of it is why why folks have, have started to look afresh at Christianity? I think there's a whole number of reasons. And I think it's partly because, to some extent, the New Atheist Project sort of failed, really. I think there were a number of reasons why mm. the New Atheist Movement itself petered out. There were sort of internal reasons. And I go into some depth in the first chapter of the book, talking about some of the internal squabbles that broke out as the New Atheist Movement, once it had agreed that God didn't exist and religion was bad for you, couldn't really agree on anything else. And they started to have pretty major fallouts over issues around social justice. You know, was was this supposed to be atheism plus, which was the direction part of the movement wanted to go in, where it was not only atheism, but also a commitment to certain forms of social justice, LGBT rights, feminism, and so on, and others who pushed strongly against that. And this this developed into the point where, you know, various atheist speakers were, were unwilling to share a stage any longer at atheist conferences and things like this. There were, you know, uh, the transgender sort of debate sort of also 
you know, took a lot of the wind out of the atheist, new atheist movement because it ended up with people like Richard Dawkins getting stripped of his Humanist of the Year award by the American Humanist Association because of his comments on transgender. So all of these sort of social issues mm. sort of took their toll on the movement and it and it's just started to unravel and unwind in various ways. And then on top of that, I think just it, it didn't actually offer anything in place of God. So it had kind of torn God down, but it hadn't offered a positive ethic for living. And and so I think the, the people who had sort of turned up for a lot of the crowd who had turned up for the new atheists, who wanted sort of intelligent thinking answers, they, they found in the end that, that just science and reason alone couldn't sustain a sort of an ethic for a flourishing life. And that's when I think we started to see the rise of this alternative set of secular thinkers, people like Jordan Peterson, Tom Holland, Douglas Murray, and many others who I think started to ask different questions. They were asking whether we could actually live without something like God, without something like the Christian story. And suddenly, you know, I think a lot of the crowd who had been following the New Atheist started to sort of switch over to some of these other thinkers who weren't dismissing Christianity, who were taking it seriously, who, hadn't, who although they weren't believers themselves, were at least aware of the psychological significance of the Christian story as a, as a narrative for shaping people's lives. And that without it, you you do run the risk of kind of floating kind of free and being essentially unmoored from anything like a, a, a story to live your life by. Um, and so that that all played into it, I think, as, as time went on, people started to gravitate towards these secular thinkers, started to see that actually, that in a way, the new atheism itself was somewhat dogmatic and shrill and fundamentalist. And, and increasingly, I think, as culture has just moved, we've seen those cultural and social issues become predominant. People are looking for something the new atheism didn't deliver it for them. So they've gone looking in all kinds of other directions, you know, to some extent, I think a lot of the newer political ideologies and, you know, issues around identity, sexuality, and so on are, are still people looking for a story to make sense of themselves by. But very often those stories are not enough. They're not, they're, they're too small. They're, they're not the, they, they, they don't sort of give us a sense of who we are in a bigger picture of the universe. So that's why I think a lot of these thinkers have started to help people to reconsider the Christian story. I think the Christian story has kind of always been there underneath anyway. It's it's kind of gone into the back, the rear view mirror, but I think it's sort of ready to come out again at the point where people are ready to hear it again. So so that's sort of in a nutshell where where I think, you know, the whole thing kind of went in the last several years. Yeah, you hit on a couple of things I'd love to explore a deeper one is, I think, the way that the excesses of the of the sexual revolution have kind of split, you know, the new atheist movement, but also have, have kind of split, you know, for lack of a better term, the left. You know, the sort of, mm. you know, there, there there's demands and claims of the sexual revolution, you know, today, the LGBT movement and others, that it seems like is a bridge too far for. A lot of those folks who mm. are then kind of looking for an alternative story. So mm. I'm curious. It, it's interesting to me how that has ha, that has provoked a kind of crisis of meaning for folks. Mm. So maybe talk mm. about that. And then the second part of it, I do want to I do want to explore is the way some historians like Tom Holland and others have actually said, you know, all the ways that you're judging Christianity, all the all the metrics by which you're judging Christianity, 
those actually, those values actually come from Christianity itself, Mm, you know, mm. which has provoked a lot of thinking. So I'd love to talk about those two phenomena. Yeah. So tackling the first one, and and I think you're dead on there, Dan, that the new kind of move towards a kind of the progressive left, the kind of the, the policies and ideologies of the progressive left, and to some extent, you know, the right wing as well, as those two parts of our culture have moved further and further apart it it did split the new atheist movement so you had some some of those leaders who went down the progressive left route and others who went down the right the 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 political right movement so if you go back to sort of some some of the key people at the time pz myers for instance was this vociferous atheist blogger scientist very much part of the new atheist movement but he went on a very kind of social justice progressive left tangent once the movement started to split whereas others like uh, Dawkins arguably went more to the right. He 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 kind of worried that certain you know scientific facts and a- aspects of biology were being denied by some of what was being said on on the left. I mean, even more than that, someone like Peter Bogosian, who's a was again a, a very kind of strong, strident new atheist voice coming from Portland. He was a professor of philosophy at Portland State University. But I remember so vividly when. Uh, um, a few years after I'd had him on a debate on my unbelievable show, him very vigorously attacking religion and essentially making the claim that religious belief was akin to a sort of mental delusion. Four years later, when <laughs> I invited him back in 2018 to to have an onstage debate as an atheist, he he told me, I, I'm, I'm not debating religion anymore, Justin, because I'm far closer now than I ever used to be mm. to many Christians. And the reason wow. was that he saw the progressive left as a far more sort of far more of an enemy to him because of what he saw as this sort of campus cancel culture the politically correct ideologies that he were worried were stifling academic freedom of speech and thought and and so he suddenly completely shifted his focus from attacking christians and faith to attacking these sort of ideologies and, and came to see actually christians many christians as, as far more kind of bedfellows with him and he, he his tone changed completely now he didn't become a christian obviously but he he completely sort of swapped where the battle he wanted to fight at that point. And of course, he and some fellow co-conspirators, um, James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, were behind this, this ho- academic hoax where they submitted all these kind of false papers um, to peer-reviewed journals that essentially traded in the currency of grievance studies. And, sort of, and, and so it, it, there was all of this going on and and i think it it does point to the fact that we've moved uh, in this very postmodern culture to a, a point where there is this meaning crisis uh, and that's the word that's been used by psychologists like john vaveki and others to describe this kind of sense of alienation from a bigger story a narrative often a religious one that would kind of give people a sense of purpose and value and direction to the to us all kind of having to kind of invent our own stories in this culture and i think that's that that's true of things like sexual and gender identities and everything else as those have proliferated in our culture it's it's symptomatic of the fact that that people find that there isn't a central binding narrative we now all have to kind of invent our own identities and 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 curate them in all kinds of ways and and that itself i think is leading to a lot of anxiety depression among young people i think it's it's a key part of sort of what's happening in our culture and and that sort of thing so you've got all of that going on and then you've got the fact that yeah the you've got those these interesting secular intellectuals like tom holland talking about the fact that well 
everything we value anyway in our culture, equality, dignity, human rights, freedom, and so on, they're actually, it turns out, a product of the Christian revolution. Um, and and th- hmm. this has been a fascinating area to delve into with, with Tom Holland, who's a well-known sort of popular historian here in the UK. He runs this extremely popular podcast called The Rest is History. He wrote this huge book, Dominion, which really traced his own journey to some extent as a secular historian who came to realize that actually everything he valued about the West really came from the Christian story, not not from the, the Romans or the Greeks who were in so many ways a completely alien culture when it came to their values and ideals and so on. And And so you've got people like this sort of pointing out the Christian foundations of our culture. You've got others who are sort of realizing that we're living in a meaning crisis. And, and behind all this is my sort of sneaking suspicion that the ground may be being prepared for that Christian story to come back in again. The thing that kind of sparked the title of the book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, and, and its sort of central metaphor and imagery on the front cover of a tide coming in was a conversation I had with another secular intellectual called Douglas Murray, quite well known here in the UK. Mm journalist and sort of political commentator, but someone who wears the label of a Christian atheist, which is obviously a contradiction mm. in terms, but but he uses it because he recognizes, even though he doesn't believe in the claims of Christianity, that he is in that kind of Tom Holland-esque way, completely shaped by the Christian story as, as, an, as an individual. And he can't deny that. And when I was speaking to him in an interview a couple of years ago, he talked about that famous poem by Matthew Arnold, the Victorian poet, Dover Beach, which talks about the melancholy, long withdrawing roar of the sea of faith and how in his age he was seeing the sea of faith go out and how that's only accelerated 150 years on in our age. But then he talked about the fact that he was very surprised to find, you know, people he respected, peers of his, becoming Christians. And this was not sort of a flood of people, but it was enough to make him, you know, pause and think. And he said, well, I suppose the thing about the sea of faith is that it can come back in again. You know, that is the point of tides, right? And and that just got me thinking with, with the collapse of the new atheism, with the rise of these secular intellectuals talking about Christianity and these surprising converts. I was also bumping into a number of surprising converts, thinking adults who had suddenly found to their own surprise that Christianity made sense of their lives. I thought, well, maybe maybe we are seeing the turning of this tide. Maybe we're not obviously we're not in the midst of a revival right now but we maybe we are starting to see that that tide of secular materialism running out of steam and the ground being prepared for the tide to come back in on the sea of faith so so that's really sort of was where i was seeing the whole the whole thing coming together dan that's really fascinating and encouraging and fascinating and interesting We'll be right back with our guest, but right now I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say that God is still at work in the world and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness. Small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared. A pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. 
Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. I want to dig in a little bit more on, on some of this. One other factor I'm curious about is the influence, I guess I want to say, diaspora communities or immigrant communities coming into the West because of mm. some of the you know, the wars and, and unrest around the world where it's sending floods of immigrants to places like the America, UK, immigrants who are largely very religious, many of them Christian, deeply Christian. Mm. And I wonder how that's influencing mm. sort of the Christian makeup of, of the West. I don't know if you've seen that in the UK, but I think we see it a little bit here in the United States, you know, whether it's Hispanic communities coming from Mexico or refugee communities coming from places like Afghanistan or, or Ukraine, where they're bringing their Christianity here. Mm. I, I don't know. I'm curious what yeah. you think about that. I, I, I would say we do see something similar. Um, in, our, in our case in the UK, it tends to be more the African-Caribbean community mm. who, you know, there's been a sort of an Im- immigration from um, both Africa and the Caribbean for you know 60 or 70 years now so we just recently celebrated 75 years here in the UK of what we call the Windrush generation and those were people who came over in in the 50s and 60s especially from sort of um, uh, the Caribbean uh, especially to 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 help the UK in its post-war regeneration essentially and many of them became you know the people who were providing essential services, and now you know we're on sort of third or fourth generation of people whose whose forebears came from those parts of the world, and and they brought their faith with them in, in a in a secular UK that was actually at that point you know in the fifties and sixties start you were starting to see you know religion start to tail off, um, church going you know has essentially been in decline in the UK for the last fifty plus years. That's been the community that has actually brought fresh blood, as it were, into the Christian church. So that now, in some of our major cities and towns, you know, perhaps up to fifty percent of churchgoers black. It's black majority churches that that make up a, a lot of the the churchgoers in the UK. Uh, and I think that's something to be celebrated in the Christian community because it has has actually brought a wonderful sense of diversity and the sense of you know the way in which the Christian church has. Mm you know, in, in all its glorious sort of um, diversity around the world. And, and in a funny way, what, we're, what we've what we been experiencing in that sense in, in, in the UK has been a sort of reverse missionary effect where, you know, it was originally missionaries from the UK who went to Africa and elsewhere. And now we're seeing the descendants of the people that they brought to faith coming back and sort of regenerating to some extent the spiritual life of the UK. So, so that's that's been a really interesting story. What what's interesting as well though is that I would say even the the story of the demise of the church here in the UK is sometimes a little overdone because obviously you can look at the statistics and just trace this kind of, you know, ski slope downwards mm. of uh church going pe- the number of people who call themselves Christians and so on. That the the, the trends are obvious there. But at the same time I often feel like things have to sometimes die off before they can come back again. It's sort of almost like when you trim back or prune back a plant so mm-hmm. that fresh buds can can grow. And and I, I see all kinds of signs of 
green shoots of revival really in the church in the UK. There, you know, one of them is in the the Black Church, you know, which which is very lively and very you know very healthy in, in many ways. I also see it in some of the church planting networks that have been going on for some time here in the UK. There's mm. um, the Holy Trinity Brompton, which was is the sort of place where the Alpha Course was developed, and uh, up until recently, the the senior minister there was Nicky Gumbel. They've seen extraordinary growth across their network, planting, you know, um, congregations into into dying or, you know, churches that are on their last legs, and seeing them come back to life in all kinds of towns and cities across the UK. So there there are sort of stories that sort of buck the trend, as it were, and and I sometimes fear that sometimes we get a little too sort of when we're only looking at the bigger picture or, or the what the statistics tell us we we sometimes don't see what's actually happening sometimes in encouraging ways on the ground in that way and so i i think i, I think that's that that's worth bearing in mind as well yeah i i agree with you because you know one of the things I, i've been saying for a few years is you know sort of the left has this myth of progress that everything's going going this way you know toward their goals and i think sometimes on the right we have this sort of a slouching toward Gomorrah thesis that everything's yeah. getting worse. And I just don't believe that. I think these things go in cycles, right? These these things mm. churn and go in cycles. And and sometimes I think because we've been so catechized by, you know, the bigger picture, the statistics, the bad headlines, the scandals in the church, that we we have a hard time believing our own story. Mm. So someone comes to faith who from atheism or whatever, and we're shocked by it, right? So we think about the story of um, the historian Molly Worthen, who came to faith, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. through J.D. Greer's church and through you know Tim Keller and all those folks, and we're like, whoa, this actually happens, you know. So you know, it seems like we have to actually believe our own story that God is God is at work even in yeah. our age, right? Yeah, I I love Molly's story. I, I was just recently myself able to interview her for a podcast. That I recently started up here here in the UK called Reenchanting, and her story will feature in season two later on this year. But yeah, what what a remarkable story of, um, and, and gives me hope because that, there's someone who should kind of mm-hmm. having seen Christianity from the inside out, you know, as a scholar of North American religion, mm-hmm. you know, she she knew what she was sort of signing up to, and yet she came to be convinced that Jesus really had walked out of the grave, and I I just find that you know a sign that actually something's happening you know that, that that there really is something fresh that we we need to sort of be aware of i i tell the stories of a number of other similar stories to molly's i don't include hers in in the book but there are many others who i talk about people who tried on atheism for a good while you know um there's a, mm-hmm. a famous sort of intellectual writer thinker called an wilson here in the uk who for a good period of his life essentially abandoned his sort of Anglican roots, you know, that he'd sort of grown up in and became a signed up card carrying member, if you like, of the new atheism of the secular intellectuals. He was, you know, dining with Christopher Hitchens. He, you know, was signed up, as he calls it, to the materialist creed. But he does, you know, in retrospect, very much see it as its own form of religion because it was this sort of almost quasi-evangelistic club that he joined where everyone was celebrating the fact that they had you know seen the triumph of reason over superstition and all this sort of stuff but he then went on to say how once sort of his evangelical fervor had died down a bit after a year or two he suddenly started to miss church he started to realize that seeing yourself as a purely 
biological, mechanical sort of set of chemical reactions doesn't ultimately buy you the meaning that he so desperately felt when he read poetry, when he saw great works of art and literature. It, it just it's failed to account for the most important things in his life. And you know, during his atheist phase, A. N. Wilson, you know, he, he even wrote a book kind of critiquing the historical Jesus, you know, uh, asking what we can really know of him and certainly uh, saying that we can't believe the re- in the resurrection and so on. But he has come back to a fully fledged faith. He now believes in the resurrection. He now, um, he has, mm. he, he's had a complete turnaround where he looks back on his sort of years as an atheist and says, I'm a, I'm I'm a different person and this is this is a very intelligent thinking you know well respected person who has made an extraordinary conversion to Christianity in um the the last 5 or 6 years and so I I find that again just a sign that there's often more going on than than we think um and even the most unlikely candidates can actually you know surprise us so so I just wonder whether as we see some of those examples of people who are suddenly finding that the, the atheist materialist story of reality they've tried it for uh, several years and it just hasn't hasn't worked for them whether we might see more of those coming coming out of the woodwork in due course yeah let's pray we do so i i guess i want to pivot and say you know if there's a surprising rebirth in belief in god how do you how do you what do you urge christians to do how how, how should we as as god's people be ready to uh, share the good news with people, to befriend people. What what advice do you have? I think one of the things that I, I would say has come has been made clear to me in the course of hearing from a number of these secular intellectuals and people who have crossed the line to faith as adults is is that it's rarely purely an intellectual journey. Um, certainly, mm. there's usually an intellectual component to it. And I think apologetics can be very good for things like removing some intellectual roadblocks for certain people. So, so there will be some people for, for whom they need to, to be given arguments for why they can trust the Bible or an argument for why you know, they can think differently about the problem of suffering and evil and that kind of thing. But by and large, I find that those, those are usually things that you use to remove a roadblock, but you still have to need to walk down the road, there's, you, the people still have to want what's on offer at the end of the road. And, and for me, that's more about the imagination. That's more about something where where you're speaking to what you that person would like to be true. And so for me, with a lot of these folk, w- when they have made that decision, it's been because they've seen something about the Christian story that they want that they want to be true. And I think it was Blaise Pascal who said something to, to the effect that uh, make religion attractive, make good men wish that it were true, then show them that it is. And and I think that's really, you know, in my world, apologetics, that's what we need to be doing more of. We need to be speaking to the imaginative side of our friends and those who find themselves pot- potentially attracted to the Christian story. We need to show them why they would want this to be true, not just that it is true, you know, not just presenting them with arguments for God and the resurrection, but saying, what kind of a world mm-hmm. do you dream of? What kind of a world would you like to be the case? Mm. And and given that we do live in a world where people are searching for a story to live by, I think we need to show why the Christian story is the fulfillment of all those smaller stories that people are often looking for meaning in. So 
when I look at, you know, issues around gender identity and sexuality and everything else, what I see is a kind of people who are experiencing to some extent, I think, a, a meaning and an identity crisis because they're looking for something that that validates who they are as an individual. And, and in the absence of God, I think it's very difficult to do that. And so people are searching for all kinds of ways in which to do that. But actually, if we introduce people back into a story, which for generations of people gave them that sense of, of identity and who they are, but did it in, in terms of a cosmic scale, you know, that, that you are created by a God who intended you to be here. Uh, things have gone wrong, but that God stepped into history and sought you out personally to put things right. And that you are now part of a bigger story with a, that includes people from all over, you know, across all space and time that is moving towards a destination. It, it places you into something meaningful in a way that the stories we're currently telling just don't. We're all, the, the stories we currently have are, are just us trying to make up a sense of purpose and meaning and a, and a narrative almost out of thin air. So I think we need to kind of give people permission to to kind of see the value of that story again and to, to kind of engage with it almost at a at an imaginative level. Um, I think people from the past who did this brilliant were, were people like C.S. Lewis, who, you know, his best mm -hmm. apologetics were actually the Narnia stories because that created a world that people wished were true and then he said, well, what if it were true? What if Aslan really does exist mm. in our world? And, and for me, I think it, it would do, the church would do well to, 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 to remember that important aspect of, of helping people to understand why, why, they, why their story only makes sense in the light of the, the Christian story. So that, that's one particular way in which I'd, I'd say the church can, can perhaps help, help people to, yeah, to navigate this meaning crisis and, and how they can find their way back to the Christian story. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, one of the things when I, when I pastored and I would preach on Easter, I would say that, look, I don't ex expect all of you to believe the Easter story, but by the time we're finished, I hope that you wish it was true. Mm. You know, you wish the story was true. And uh, it does seem, as you say, people are looking for meaning and hope. They People recognize that the world is not as it should be, that we need something to to change us, to 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 change the world. And so we can obviously press the gospel story into that. Great stuff, uh, Justin Briarly. Really appreciate your work in ministry. And thank you for being here on the, on the Way Home Podcast. I want to encourage folks to get this book. The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, Why New Atheism Grew Old, and Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again by Justin Brierley. Be sure and, and check this out and be encouraged, but also be, I think, motivated to um, share the gospel and, and befriend those who are far from God. So thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been great to be with you. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.